What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to Straight Facts, a sports show that educates and entertains. I'm your boy, Jimmy J, joined by my guys, Stat Matt Robinson, who's salty that Tom Brady is now the greatest quarterback of all time, undisputedly, and my main man's Jake Galley. There's a deep bass in my voice because my Tampa Bay Buccaneers are Super Bowl champions. You didn't pick them. You didn't pick them. Kyle is somewhere out there in the deep beyond. He didn't pick them. He's not with us today, so I'm basking in all, in all glories, in all glories. To be fair... I think I was the only other person to pick them at all during the postseason. I picked them to beat New Orleans, but that was it. I don't think anyone else picked them. I did it because he's petty. I didn't pick him because he's petty. And I think Kyle just Kyle just didn't want this. Kyle didn't want to hear me until next football season. He was kind of hoping they lost too. Yeah, everyone That's picked him against Washington, and then everyone else other than James picked the— you and Jake picked the against him every time. I tweeted this the night of the Super Bowl. The Bucks became the best team in the NFL in December, and I just didn't realize it until I was watching the Super Bowl. I, and I don't think you were the only one, to be honest. Like, they, they were 7-5, and five, and then they just flipped—not, they didn't flip a switch because they figured out how mm. to play their best football, and they really dominated the rest of the season. And, like, the, the defensive line— they destroyed the Chiefs' offensive line, and obviously it's a big story. But that's why they won the Packers game, too. They mm-hmm. got a lot of pressure on Rodgers in that fourth quarter to keep that game in with the lead for them. So that it's, defensive it's, line deserves a lot of credit. And it's amazing. And we'll obviously, we'll get into all this in, in literally just a little bit. But before we start, what was, what was common and similar to all those games we won, all the playoff games in the Super Bowl... Because we just simplified a game plan and then perfected it until, like, in a way that no one could beat us. Patriots-esque, right? Like, we, it wasn't super complex. The formations weren't super complex. The defensive formations weren't. It's just like, once once we execute it to perfection, you're not going to be able to stop it. And it was a simple game plan that was executed that way to offset a crazy scheme. Yeah, the Chiefs were wildly outcoached. Byron Leftwich had a great offensive game plan to go against Spags' defense. Uh... Yeah, I think, like, it ultimately, like most football games, it's two factors. Uh, turnovers, obviously, but then more so, especially as you apply it to offense and defense, uh, the, the battle in the trenches, which just a blowout in that in that capacity by Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. I, I got to say, I did not see that coming. Yeah, absolutely flew me. I thought, you know, I, as I said in last episode, Tampa Bay was live. Like, they 100% could have won that game, but mm-hmm. I just didn't. Envision it looking like that. Like I mean, this. that was dominance. That was dominance. I mean, didn't score a touchdown. Let's, let's, all right, let's, why, don't, why don't we start officially? Because we're literally getting into all of our points that we have written down in just, <laughs> in just discussion. So let's, let's officially start. The fact straight at you is exactly that. The biggest fact of the season, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 2021 Super Bowl 55 champions. And just as we're all alluding to, a 30, 31 to 9 victory is, is nothing that anyone had pegged at least on the Buccaneers' side. I think if the Chiefs would have learned the Buccaneers, no one would have been too surprised. But we're all surprised, myself included, that I watched a 31-9 to victory. So what surprised you guys most about how the Buccaneers won or, or the fact that the Buccaneers won? Like, what's the biggest surprise of the Super Bowl? The coaching disparity. I think I mentioned that. I know it's easy to go with the nine points, but I think if you really look at everything, the... The little touch passes, screen passes that always got 15 yards for the Bucks in the throughout the game. Like Brady executed the game plan perfectly. Every Gronk was open, 
on those little passes, and mm-hmm. the Chiefs might have took, taken away Mike Evans, but they left a lot of other people open, and I know they only got scored nine points, but those 31 points were a lot of points. They weren't set up by big turnovers, and they almost got 38. They were just stopped on a goal line stand earlier in the game. Their offense really played well, and I know a lot of people want to talk about the defense because that's they held Kansas City to nine points, but I really think Arians and Leftwood came up with a great game plan to just carve the Spagnola defense to pieces. Mm-hmm. And if anyone was following my my super my little Instagram videos and YouTube videos leading up, one of my thoughts, I think it was like Wednesday or Thursday, was like, I think they have the coaching advantage. I thought going in between it was me, Eric Reed or Andy Reed and Eric Bieniemy versus Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich, at least on the offensive side of the ball. And I thought they had the extreme advantage on, on that side. And it just got turned on its head. Like, I don't know about you, but that was, yeah, the coaching disparity, or at least the game that was coached, really surprised me. Well, and it, it seemed like pretty much whoever they handed the ball to was having great success. Leonard Fournette looked awesome. Um, granted, that's not super surprising. He has been looking really good uh, throughout the entire postseason. But like I initially said, just the absolute dominance because then Kansas City I mean they've really got away from running the ball which isn't a surprise with who's coaching their team but I read somewhere that they had the fifth or or excuse me the third most this year in terms of five man protection so you're not adding any additional blockers no running back no tight end that the third most out of any game in terms of five man protections ran Kansas City ran when their offensive line could not stop the Buccaneers' rush, Mahomes is running for his life. Some people say he didn't need to. Sometimes, um, I think that's bullshit. Well, but well, it's it's funny, Jay, because that's I think that's a great stat to pull out because we pretty much rushed with four all game, and I think Kansas City knew that going in, and so they said we're going to send as many weapons outward because if we can't stop the pass rush, maybe we can give Patrick Mahomes as many options as possible going out. But he, he still has to get through his reads. And he literally didn't even have a chance to get to any of his reads. Or the, the defense was still plastering coverage all, all game. Um, and that kind of leads to what I was most surprised about. I think Matt brought this up maybe two weeks ago when he wasn't even talking about the Super Bowl. But he was talking about maybe it was going to the Super Bowl or maybe it was the AFC Championship game. But Matt, you brought up the idea of how good the Chiefs were on third and long and how they're able to keep drives alive so much because even if you get them behind the stick so much, they're able to convert and then use that momentum to go and score points. They were 0-5 on third and long uh, in the Super Bowl. And during the regular season, they you know were the best in the NFL, had like a 51 conversion percentage on third and you know between 7 yards and 10 yards. And the Bucs never let them get any big plays, but especially not on third down to keep drives alive. Like they weren't able to build any momentum. Once their drives hit third down, they pretty much stalled out wherever they were, whether it was, you know, in field goal range or not. The Buccaneers never let them, you know, we never let them convert, which I think is big. They never got that play to swing momentum in their favor. One of the biggest plays of the game was, I think, a third and seven late in the second quarter. It was 14 to three bucks, and the Chiefs were driving there at like the 20 yard line, and like four pass rushers got through Mahomes, ran around, incomplete, they kicked the field goal. And because they held him on that play, it, it also gave the Bucks enough time offensively to take a shot, and then that led to the touchdown before the half to put him up 21 to six. That could have been 14 to 10 going in at halftime, Chiefs getting the ball, and it turned into 21 to six just because of that, that one stop potentially. Mm-hmm. 
And oh, go ahead, Jay. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, just just to add on in terms of things that I was surprised about. Uh, how about you want to talk about a general manager and maybe maybe you uh, credit this to Tom Brady more than the general manager, but the two guys who you bring in, Rob Gronkowski, Rob Gronkowski and AB, they account for three touchdowns in the game. Uh, like that is. Well, you want to talk about how to win a Super Bowl. Have the guys who you pay come in and produce when it matters. Uh, Gronk had two receptions through the first three games of the playoffs. I heard a mic'd up of him saying, I was saving for the Super Bowl, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so good I, job there. I, it's funny. I saw a lot of one of the one of the funniest, like, you know, things going around. The funniest tweets going around on social media was like, A.B. did everything wrong and won a Lombardi trophy. Every, <laughs> everything wrong and won a Super Bowl. But I think that alludes Leonard to... Leonard Fournette, too. All four of their touchdowns were by new acquisitions. Yeah, that's they, right. There you go. And, um, like, I, I think it points to the fact of that's why Tom Brady wanted to go. Maybe not specifically to the Buccaneers when he nef- left New England, but he wanted to go to a new team with a lot of weapons. Because he knows when I get deep in the playoffs, good teams are going to take away my first and second options. And he has no problem going to third, fourth, and fifth if they're open. And it happens on this team to be his third, fourth, and fifth option have, happen to be, oh, Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski. If, if I got if I got to go deep into my bag and pull those two out, I'm in good shape. And he knew that going in. He knew that Gronk is going to be available because everyone thinks he's a blocking tight end now. And he normally is in our scheme. But here go adjustments. Here goes something that they're not going to be prepared for. And it just happens to be the dude that I have the most chemistry with in, in the history of me playing the game. Like, I don't think that was on accident that Rob Gronkowski, you know, caught three passes and two of them were touchdowns or four passes and two of them were touchdowns. That's not most postseason touchdowns between a quarterback and a pass catcher in NFL history in postseason history. Yep. And and I, the reason why you don't hear much of out of Mike Evans about maybe not getting the ball or one, cause they won. Like I'm not going to complain too much if they win, but I, I just don't think this was an in the game thing. Like, I think Brady's smart enough to relay to all his receivers. Like, look, they know about you. They know about you. They don't know about you and you yet in our scheme. They're not going to be, you're going to have single coverage. You're not going to be prepared for me to go to you guys often, especially in scoring situations. Like, they're going to be all over Mike Evans and Chris Godwin in scoring situations. But AB and Gronk, you're going to be open because they don't think you guys are, are targets yet. Or they're not prepared for you guys to be targets. I think that was big. And yeah, that surprised me. But then... It kind of didn't surprise me when I look at just how Brady was able to adjust, but no one saw 31 to 9. No one I mean, saw 31 to 9. You guys also have a little bit of a a Golden State Warriors, Cleveland Cavaliers component going on. I don't know if you saw Adrian Peterson saying he wanted uh he wanted yeah. to go to the Bucks next year, get a little piece. I got I got love for you all day. Got love for you, OG. We we cool though. We <laughs> <laughs> He can take the LaShawn McCoy job if McCoy's on the True, yeah. That's fine. Right, yeah. Great, great leader, great locker room presence. You ride out and get a ring without without playing a snap. So go ahead. You know, we're not going to re-sign LaShawn. Bring in AP for that. But yeah, we, we good all day. We, 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 good over, <laughs> we good over here. It's too many it's too many mouths to feed as it is. Um, any other things that really just stood out to you and surprised you from that Super Bowl? I mean, I could, you know, I could talk about it all day. We, we can keep going. Uh, I just want to say that for the first time, I think I kind of had a paradigm shift on how I view Tom Brady. Uh, I, I don't know if it was just, I guess like the New England thing was really the main deterrent. Like just uh, the, all the winning and the ways that they won made him unlikable. 
watching him drunk as shit throw the Lombardi trophy from boat to boat was a turning point for me. I think that I'm like <laughs> team Tom now. I like Tom. I want him to succeed as long as it's not at the expense of the Eagles. But like, I think that's where I'm at now. Here's the thing. I, Tom, I know that's your seventh. So I know these things don't mean a lot to you. This is many of our first now. They'll be, they'll be drowning in Lombardi in the river now. Like, don't, don't be doing that. But I, I think a lot of people are thinking like you, Jake. Like, we watched Tom Brady win a lot, but not really have a whole lot of fun. Like, now he won and had fun. And you're like, oh, he's a pretty likable dude when he's smiling. But he's not, like, all grumpy because Bill Belichick's grumpy. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of fun that way. Also, the cheating stuff. The way and just the way they went about it in New England, it just it was very oh, off-putting. Uh, very, very arrogant. Very of arrogance that just yeah, yeah, yeah. Very arrogant. It was just yeah. They're I, I will just like Tom Brady and the whole discussion about is Tom Brady the goat of all goats discussion makes me want to throw up. But uh, Don't get me it's way, Don't it's get way, me it's a way bigger, easier pill to swallow when he's not with New England doing this. Because Boston wins like a fucking, fucking billion yeah, titles. Yeah, no one likes Boston. Like, no one likes so, Boston. So, like, I know Tampa just won a Stanley Cup, but, like, Tampa doesn't win a lot. And Tampa Bay Bucks fans, they have the worst win percentage in NFL history, but it doesn't matter because they've got two Super Bowls now. Super Bowl, don't, don't matter. Yeah. yeah, Tampa Bay went three for three. Went, um, Lightning, Rays went to the World Series, Bucks went to the to the Super Bowl. So, Tampa had a And if... if, if if the Raptors win the title, dude, that that is the unprecedented four for four. Yeah, four for four, uh, right there. Before we move on, there's there's one thing I gotta hear a stat bad say. There's just one thing I gotta hear. <laughs> say. We can move on to the NBA. I just need you to say Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time. Just go ahead and let it let it ring. No, 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 no. Before you do this, Matt, all I need you to say is Tom Brady. <laughs> I can see. I can see. I'm conjuring up of something crazy. Just the phrase, Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time. There was a butt coming out. Because of his longevity, Tom Brady <laughs> is the greatest quarterback of all time. <laughs> he couldn't, he couldn't fight off the qualifier. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care why. He's just the greatest quarterback of all time. I'll take because of the longevity. That's fine, but we will move on. Uh, we got to do an update of our Super Bowl prop bets because we. I thought we had four pretty good ones and none of them hit. Like, we went 0 for 4. So, real quick, our prop bet, Stat Matt had a prop bet of a kick will hit the, well, one of the kicks will hit an upright. That's field goal or extra point, right? Didn't have to. Two kicks upright. came close. They yeah. came close. Yeah. I thought one did. Yeah. Yeah. One, and yeah. just barely missed. Yep. Jake's prop bet there will be a two point conversion. There literally never needed to be in the game. Needed to be some more scoring for that to happen. <laughs> never, yeah. Never bit. needed to be. Kyle's prop bet, total pass attempts, uh, total players with a pass attempt over. Two and a half again in a game that lopsided. No, I mean, we're not going to pull anything out the bag. They were down from the beginning, so no one else but Patrick Mahomes is going to throw a pass. Um, my prop bet, a combination of Mike Evans plus Travis Kelsey TD. That one, I was I was really surprised. And it's funny because the episode before the Super Bowl, I was like, no way at least one of them like don't catch a touchdown pass. They didn't even come close. Like neither of them really came close <laughs> to a touchdown. Travis Kelsey came close, I guess, at the end when Devin White got his interception when it got tipped, but that was still a, a long shot. The only member of the Straight Facts fam was actually Mr. Sirik. Shout out to Kyle's dad on the, the easy cast with Gronk over 31 and a half receptions. He's the only one. That easy. 
He's on. He's a market mover. Mr. Sirik, he doesn't mess around. He gets his numbers. He knows the derivatives. Come on. He's the one driving up GameStop stock and everything. Like He's just a, a tycoon when it comes to, to putting his money in. That Dogecoin. Yeah. He's he <laughs> he on it. But all right, we're going to move on to the NBA because it's officially basketball season for everybody now. You know, we could we can focus solely on basketball for the next coming months. Um, so it seems like the NBA, unbeknownst to me, I, I no, kind of don't know why, they're going to have an all-star game. I guess I do know why because they're about their money. They're about their bread. But they're going to have an all-star game. Um, so why don't we go around and just name who we think our all-star lineups are. We're probably going to have a lot of the same people, but where we differ is where the conversation is going to be. So anyone who wants to start. Uh, I'll start because I was actually, I put mine on Instagram today and had a lot of people tell me the various reasons why I was wrong. Um, so we will start in the Eastern Conference. The guards go Bradley Beal and Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown, right the there. one that I... It was right there. It, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I got the most uh, flack for the Jalen Brown pick, which we can talk about, but KD and Bede, Giannis to round out that starting lineup. I think those are pretty um, self-explanatory. And then in the Western Conference, Dame, Luka as my guards, Kawhi, LeBron, and Jokic again, front court seeming very locked and loaded there. Um, but that's who I've got in the Western Conference. All right, before anyone gets at you, because you're my dog, so I'm going to come to defense, or at least give you the chance to explain yourself before people try to come at you, because it's a good basketball mind right here. So there's a reason that he picked Jalen Brown. So let's give Jake the floor and and, uh, and explain why Jalen Brown is a starter, not just an all-star, but a starter. So here's my reasoning. Uh, Kyrie Irving has not played enough games uh, to be a starter, in my opinion. I don't think Trey Young should be a starter because his team stinks. And then the same thing goes for Harden, where maybe he can... I mean, he's playing very well, in, in despite of really having to change his role on Brooklyn. Um, so maybe he could sneak in there. But right now, when you look at what Jason Brown... Uh, Jalen Brown combined him and Tatum there for a second. But you look at what Jalen Brown has done. He's upped his efficiency. He's pretty much equaled um, Tatum's scoring output. And he has become, in my opinion, their leader for Boston. Jaylen, Jason Tatum is the best player. Um, he, he he won't make my front court. He's their best player. But Jalen Brown has been an incredible leader for them, especially on the defen defensive end. So that's why he gets in there for me. You ask... Well, doesn't Bradley Beal's team stink too? Yes, it does to a worse extent, but he deserves it. So he's in there. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, you make you make good points. I don't think it was as heinous as people were making it seem. I didn't agree with it just because I think Kyrie goes ahead of him. But I didn't right. say no just because I don't think it's a like I don't think it's a good choice. Or I think it's a dumb move or a bad. Yeah, it's choice. not ridiculous that you have Jalen Brown, even though I pardon. Okay, well, Matt, go. What's your list, both Eastern and Western? So my list is on the Eastern Conference side. I got Bradley Beal, and a lot of it's just because he got screwed over last year and didn't make an all-star team, so I want to make him a starter this year. Um, James Harden, uh, KD, Giannis, and Embiid. I think the front court's really easy for the East because those are a clear three. And my Western Conference is Lillard and Steph as the guards, and then the front court of LeBron, Kawhi, and Jokic. I just think Kawhi's having a better year than Paul George is how I made that decision uh, between him and Paul George. I think he's been the bigger reason why the Clippers are 18 and 8. Well, because I take no defense into consideration, here is 
here is my, my all-star starting lineup for the Western Conference. I have Dame Lillard and Luca at the guards. My front court: Paul George, LeBron James, and Nikola Jokic. Um, Bron and Bron and Jokic are, are stamped down for sure. Um, I guess I could have put Paul George in the backcourt, but I put him in the in the front court as a, a forward instead of a guard. That also might be another discussion. I, I kind of don't know what he's specifically listed at. I think he's specifically listed as a forward in LA, even though in Indiana and OKC, I believe he was listed as a guard. For all-star purposes, I think he's front court because um, that's his natural position. But in terms of like every like, like how they play bat. Because because I remember early in his career, he started as a shooting guard. Indiana and OKC, he, he was a backcourt player. But yeah. he's too tall to be in the base. He's 6'10". They don't put him on. He doesn't guard opposing guards, though. Okay. Um, he'll guard other forwards. So I, I think you could get away with it. At, at least you, I'm not going to hold you to it. The, you know, we're not voters. Actually, I guess we technically are uh, right. well, for fan to. vote. But yeah, um, yeah I, I think that he could get away with either. But if I had to put him in one, I'd go front court. Um, so, I mean, I guess the, the disparity in the All-Stars... Um, you know, for the guards, is if you think Steph should go in between Dame or Luca, and I don't remember if, if any of us had one of us had Steph and Curry. I had Steph, and that was that was Matt. So you think you think Steph goes over Luca? Yeah. Which I just, which I think Luca's having. A, I don't like that the Mavericks are twelve and fourteen. Mm-hmm. I don't like that there's all this chatter about Luca like really screaming at refs and it's annoying like his own teammates at that point. So it's and Steph is putting up stupid good numbers mm-hmm. he had a cold start through the first like five six games and since then his stats have been absurd and and full transparency when i asked everyone to make this list was about three or four nba games ago and then the, was, last, the last three games for steph have been ridiculous i was gonna say like the last three games have put him in the lead if i had to do it like today <laughs> i would put him but overall i'm not i mean i'm not pressed about putting luke in there i think the margins between dame luca steph is like razor thin mm-hmm. um and it, it'll ultimately come down to what their peers think of them which is why i think it might be damon steph and luca might get left off mm-hmm. but um we'll see all right my eastern conference Kyrie irving and bradley beal in the backcourt and then the stamp down front court of durant and b and anthony cupo and Giannis. um you didn't go full anti-defense because kyle did something crazy and put trey young in there so <laughs> yeah that that is that is a little been worse I mean, to spit into the face of defense everywhere, <laughs> all sports for real. But a lot of people are on the fence about Kyrie, especially taking his little, you know, two week hiatus, his little two week absence. Um, but I, I agree with Jake in the opening that I think he's played enough games to at least qualify to be an all star starter. And then his play, especially last night, I think he put up 31 against Indi- against Indiana, right? 30 in the 30s or something against Indiana and had a very good game. So. That's that's where I got him. Well, we're really about to dig into Mr. Kyrie to see just how good he's been here. Talk uh, about because it, talk about like it, I well, we do have to talk about it because I was gotten out of here for saying the Sixers should be the number one contender in the East or at least consider that uh, that. And I was told Brooklyn was unbeatable, unflappable. They're fifteen and twelve. Brooklyn is fifteen and twelve. Who told you right. they were unbeatable? One me. Was one of you. I, one of you. I don't know who it was exactly, but um, Max I, Gordon I will, was also on that train. Yeah, I will provide the caveat, however, 
Vegas is not moved by their recent losing ways. They're still plus 350 to win the title, which is the second shortest odds to the Lakers. So clearly Vegas has faith that Brooklyn will rebound. But I mean, what have you guys seen? Are you concerned at all at how Brooklyn has looked? I mean, they've looked bad on defense, man. They've like historically bad, right? If I, (laughs) I really, if I look through it with Homer glasses, I can really make an argument. But I I just, they've got so many games with that much talent. They've got so many games left to get their shit together. Mm -hmm. And at this point, as a Sixers fan, I'm basically rooting for us to get the one seed so we won't have to play Brooklyn until probably the conference finals. That's all I can really hope for. Because unless they slip and get the three or four seed, then like I like when the Sixers <laughs> play. Let, if they have the three seed, it's fine. It's just, right. It just can't be the four seed. Um, yeah, when I when the Sixers played Brooklyn the other night, uh, and Brooklyn was out, KD and Kyrie. Um, it was interesting to see what um, how Doc Rivers played it because basically Ben Simmons uh, defended Harden once it got close, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what shut the game down. But when Kyrie and uh, KD have to, can play, then you can only put Ben Simmons on one of them. So the fact that Danny Green wasn't able to slow down Harden on his own is a little... It's still early, but... At Brooklyn, as much as I want to be like, oh, they got problems, they don't have their crap together... They're only eight and six and getting Harden. It's they're at with this much talent, and they don't seem to be like big, like ego. Like there's weird ego stuff with like there's like weird sensitivity stuff with Kyrie and KD specifically. Well, I saw but, I saw Harden and DJ going at it too. Apparently Harden yelled at Steve Nash in the locker room too about some kind of scheme, something that wasn't working. I'm, I'm not I, sure. I, I, it doesn't seem like a, there's like a Terrell Owens kind of situation there. Though. It's not. It's not that bad. But so, they are. They are struggling. Last in the NBA in, in defensive rating. Historically, I think you know if you were if the season were to stop now, they'd have the worst or second worst defensive rating in NBA history, which is absolutely hilarious. And it's funny how everyone says it's an offensive driven league. It's an offensive minded league now. But it's being proven that you got to at least play some defense. You got to play enough defense to allow your offense to flourish. And the Nets aren't even doing that right now. Combine that with the last three games without Durant. It's even more struggling. With KD, their efficient field goal percentage, or they have a 60 efficient field goal percentage, 1.2 points per possession, and a 52 field goal percentage overall. Without KD, that efficient field goal percentage goes down to 55, 1.1 points per possession, and then a 47% field goal percentage. So, I mean, the defensive struggles, no KD. I know they got a win against Indiana last night, but, I mean, the, the Nets have to figure something out. And they don't even have to be good on defense. They just have to, like, bring it Passable. home. They terribly, lost to Washington yeah, terribly bad Detroit, for okay. bad. Like, they just yeah. got to – they're going to be okay. Um, the only thing that really does give me some solace when thinking about how – Philly will match up with them is that they are genuinely better off without DeAndre Jordan. Um, The numbers bear that out very, very slightly. In fact, um, when DJ is off the court, they're actually 0.1% better in true rebounding percentage, which that's really the only thing he brings to the table. So, you know, common knowledge would say, okay, well, maybe in the playoffs they won't go with the big clunky center. Problem is, if you play Philly and you don't play a center... And B's going to have 45 to 50 points on you. Like, generally. So, so that's the one matchup. And we've talked about it before. 
Um, but as you guys said, it, it will, I'd assume, come down to Durant. If he's healthy, they probably are. If all three are healthy, especially Durant, they're probably unbeatable um, in, the, in in a seven-game series. But I, I'm not sitting here saying they're they're the runaway here. They they do have some flaws for sure. I mean, they, they can't be the runaway anymore. But Matt said it a bunch of times. They got too much talent to not at least contend when it's all said and done. And we know that towards the back end of the regular season and into the playoffs, the game slows down tremendously, which lends itself to having more defense be played. But also, I think it it aids the skill of their three best players on offense. They all play they have three of the best isolation scores in basketball. And so it, 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 that's the game they all want to, literally all three of them, that's the game they want to play and they thrive in. So that's where we got to look. Can that big three coexist late down the season and, and really start to mesh and, and get it together? When Katie, uh, Harden, and Kyrie are all on the floor together, Katie takes the most attempts by far. 82 field goals attempted, Kyrie at 74, and Harden all the way down to 50. Now, can Harden be as effective if he's not this big volume shooter that he's used to being? That's that's what I'm going to, you know, that's what's going to have to see. Like Jake said, he changed his role a lot. And he, he's, you know, does what he has to do. I, I think, you know, on their best nights, he's giving you know, triple doubles. And, you know, that's actually something that bears out throughout history of all big threes. When you look around, there's there's usually two guys who are about the same as they were before the big three. And then one guy will take a huge roll cut, roll change. And it appears to be Harden. Harden has done that song and dance before in Oklahoma City. It's what led to him leaving and going to Houston. So uh, short term, I think it can work. If they start to run into adversity, that's when I start to you know, you know that 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 whole uh, personalities thing that Matt was talking about. That's when that really comes into play. When you look at who is passing to who, Kevin Durant's probably their, their number one go-to guy. Harden has assisted him 18 times to Kyrie's eight when all three of them are on the floor. Then you look at Kyrie. Harden has assisted him nine times. KD's assisted Kyrie six times when all three is on the floor. And then you go down to Harden. Once again, KD leading uh, that with six assists to Harden. Kyrie only four. So in my opinion, maybe it's the synergy since they played before. But it seems like on court, it's bearing out that KD and Harden are the pair. uh, Despite Harden not taking as many shots, he's changed his role. That's the one thing that as it goes deeper and as... These relationships are strained. You know, who who has the closer personal and on-court relationships? They're also better basketball players than Kyrie Irving, too. Like, that's true. People, that's, that's true. Yeah, that's no slight to Kyrie. Like, are, like, MVP candidates year yeah. in, year out when they're healthy. And, like, Kyrie, Kyrie's probably never finished at top five at, or maybe even top ten in MVP voting. Like, he's never a contender to win the MVP. And I think Kyrie is kind of the odd one out in a lot of different ways. But I think I really do think that Harden's happy that he doesn't have to chuck it every single possession. Also, his rate went down from 36% last year to 24% with Brooklyn this year. Like, I feel like that it's a little, it's, he can ease back a little bit. It doesn't have to be all about him. And I think, He's okay with that. Mm-hmm. Also, that that means I don't get the blame. I just got the blame for so you know so many years in Houston. It's even when, especially when CB3 went out and they're looking to beat the Warriors, it's pretty much him that's blamed for that over 27 game seven. Um, 
three-point output. So I think he's kind of okay. It's, that's also the reason that KD was okay going to Golden State. Like, hey, not my fault if we lose. I'm probably going to be one of the reasons we win. But it's not going to be on me <laughs> when we lose. And what I'm looking for for the Nets, what I'm looking at going down the stretch is, isn't who's going to be the number one guy. Because we know that that's Kevin Durant. But who's going to be the number two guy? Who's going to be... Who's going to be in that role when when KD is covered or when KD's having an off night? Is it going to be Kyrie who's going to be looked at as that number two scorer, or is it going to be James Harden? And is he going to try to make a push for that? Um, and I think they are kind of cruising too. Is the other thing I'll say about their struggles when you look at the turnover percentage? They're being very lazy with the ball. They're twenty fifth in turnover percentage, and then on the other side, we know they're bad on defense, but. 28th in opponent turnover percentage means that they're not hassling ball handlers. They're not jumping lanes. They're not doing things that result in you going the other way. So um, all in all, I think Kyrie Irving will be the number two only by the pure fact of that's all he can do <laughs> at a high level. He can't. But like, is, is Kyrie really going to be the guy who's getting you a triple double? No, no he can't no. do that. It's Harden. So. Harden will probably sacrifice some shots to Kyrie. If that's the right decision, I don't know, but it is what it is. I think it'll come down to which defender is guarding them. Like, because there's only so many good defenders. So whatever they, whatever person has a weaker defender, I think is the person they're going to attack again and again and again. I think that'll definitely yep. happen when the playoffs come, when you play the team over and over again. Now, now Matt, that is, that is what logically would happen with a team that has continuity and a game plan and everything figured out. But this is a team who got thrown together midseason and is in a weird year, not having as many practices and having brand a new coach, brand new coach, brand new assistant coach, having to figure things out as they go along. So we'll see. To me, this is exactly what it looks like when you take three superstar talents and throw them on a court together with no practice. This is what you get. You get no continuity, but three guys that when you look in the box start, damn, he had 27. He had 24, he had 22, 10, and 11. But they lost to the Wizards, 149, 142. What happened? It, that This is what you get. You, you, no, there's no continuity. There's there's no chemistry there. This is just three really good talents on the court at the same time. 149 yep. is why they lost. <laughs> Getting blown out by, by the Wizards, which is a... That's an incredible... That was the biggest red... I think that was when everybody league-wide was like, oh, the Nets have a problem problem. Like... <laughs> That was in regulation, and you and not only did you let up 149, you couldn't score more than that. Like you, you really lost, loss to the Wizards. <laughs> oh no, everyone's like, yeah, no, no, they got a problem. We got to talk about them. <laughs> Us, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they got a big problem. All right, uh, one one more thing with NBA, we just got to do a little rookie check in right now, just to see how the rookie draft class. I wish Kyle was here because he did his big board, and all these guys obviously were on it. I know he'd have a take. Uh, on all these guys, but as we're like maybe a, a little more than third, a third of the way through the season, we got to do a rookie check-in real quick. At the top of the list has got to be LaMelo Ball. Now, a lot of people were on many different sides of the fence coming into the season on whether he was going to have a good rookie campaign or not, and he's by far having the best. 38 points per game, five rebounds a game, six assists. He leads all rookies in total points, rebounds, assists, steals, double-doubles, Triple doubles, cars parked, doors painted, everything. Just, just want to just correct you, but you said 38 points per game. 
It's 13.8 points. 13. Per game. Oh, did I say 38? I meant 13.8 yeah. points yeah. per game. He's been good. He's not. Been he's not that good. Yeah. 38 point. No, I said he's the best rookie of all time, man. <laughs> right. Yeah. 38 points per game. 13.8 points per game. I got a little excited. This is Puma fam <laughs> rocking off the charts. So like, I got I got a little excited right there. But now that he's starting, it looks like Melo's like a runaway for this rookie of the year award. I think you should be the heavy favorite at this point. Uh, my seven to one Tyrese Halliburton ticket that I'm holding would uh, is the only thing preventing me from saying he's a runaway. Uh, but that's just personal preference. I do think it's super impressive, though. And this is um, maybe less of him and, and more of the coaching staff there. But the success that Charlotte has had with, I mean, effectively running at times a, a four-guard lineup. Now, I don't know if you consider Gordon Hayward really a guard anymore, but Terry Rozier, LaMelo Ball, um, Devontae Graham, all of those guys are point guards. So they've had, I mean, they're the seventh seed, or 12 and 14 right now. A great job by Charlotte in what many people said was a terrible signing in Gordon Hayward. Um, balls look like the real deal beside all those guys, so... I guess he kind of proved me wrong. I didn't think that he would be this good this fast, but um, he looks legit. I mean, once he turned the dial from I got to be pass first to being more aggressive and started scoring the ball, that was like the only piece of his game besides the defensive part that everyone was like, you know, I'm not sure where Melo is going to come along because he doesn't look to score. Then he started looking to score and scoring and scoring at all three levels. Um, And the three point shot has come along. He's been great, but he hasn't been the only good rookie. He's been the best rookie, but there have been other good rookies. The three that come to mind, Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, and Tyrese Halliburton. A little honorable mention to Tyrese Maxey, too, the Sixers, who, who has been very consistent, showed flashes of being a very good rookie. But these, the rest of these three have been really putting on for their teams. Anthony Edwards, 14 points a game, three rebounds, two assists. James Wiseman, 12 points a game six rebounds, 0.7 assists per game. Um, Tyrese Halliburton, 11 points, really 12, 13 rebounds, five assists per game. Of those three, who's been the second most impressive rookie so far? I like Wiseman just because his per 36 numbers are so good. He's only playing around 20 minutes per game as they're just trying to implement him in and try to figure out what he does best. His per 36 is 21 and 10.5 on like a very efficient shooting and I think the more comfortable he gets the more minutes he'll play and I'm not saying he'd be a 20 and 10 player right now if he played 36 minutes per game but I think he's building to someone who can consistently get you like 16 and 9 or something like that not just Mm -hmm. the 12 points that he's getting now yeah as I stated I think Halliburton's probably the second best most impressive I should say in my eyes uh, just because of how solid he's been like when he's on the court, it doesn't look like he's just like lost, which even for good rookies at times, it can look out on the court like they're lost. Seems like he's always under control. He always makes the correct play, uh, correct play, correct pass if he has to move it one more. One guy I will say before we move on uh, that I do think should be in the honorable mentions um, is Emmanuel Quickly. Mm-hmm. Has been incredibly impressive. Uh, granted, his minutes now are going to take a big decline with Derrick Rose in the fold, uh, maybe not, but we'll, we'll have to see on that one. I think he's been super impressive. Yeah. 
To be uh, fair to Tyrese Halliburton, the only game I've watched of him this year is when they played the Sixers the other night. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm not trying to West Coast. Yeah. No, no, the Sixers got a 10 o'clock game tonight. And these, these West Coast games kicking my ass, yo. Like, yeah, they whoop like, my we're ass, not, dude. We're, we're not, I'm not built for it anymore. Like, oh. it's, it's it's 12-15, and there's 10 <laughs> minutes left in the fourth quarter. I'm like, y'all. Like, you <laughs> what are we doing? You hurt, you hurting me. Um, we'll do a shout out to James Wiseman because one, Jake, I think you're right. I think he is making the right pass, the right read, the right shot every time. Because if he don't, Draymond is in his ear, literally on the court. And you can see it in James Wiseman's face. Sometimes he just wants us to turn to Draymond and just be like, yo, shut the fuck up for three seconds, please. Like, let me just play for three seconds. Can you please get out my ear? So I was talking about Halliburton, but that is also incredibly true. Like the mentorship and the intense mentorship that like you can visibly see with Draymond in him. <laughs> it's really hilarious. Right. It is. Um, but that, that's what breeds winning players is growing up and and, and um, kind of learning the ropes in environments like right. that. And I think what's, what's look, what we look forward to if you're a Warriors fan, if you're in the Warriors organization, is it so much this year, but it's when you get Clay back and get that full you know, that, that full core back together, Wiseman brings something to the Warriors that even at their best, they never had, which is like an actually good center. Like they had it with Boogie for, you know, for that last, you know, you know, when they went to the finals against the Raptors. I'm not calling him actually good. No, you know what I mean? He was, and he tore his quad in game two. Yeah, he tore his quad in game two or three in the finals. So missed most of the finals anyway. But they've never had a big that they can actually rely on to score, to play big minutes, to, you know, to be part of the winning core. And Wiseman can present that, which is why I thought it was really scary that they had the number two overall pick and were probably going to pick him to begin with. So um, that's the rookie ladder. I just want to add... Uh, one stat that I just found that I find very amusing uh, about Zach Levine. He scored 45 points last night. He moved to second all-time in Bulls history for most 45-point games with four. That puts him 69 behind Jordan with 73. <laughs> oh second. second. <laughs> Watch no, out, I Jordan. I thought you were about to say that puts him three behind Jordan, four yeah. behind Jordan. <laughs> Jordan had 70 40-point games. 45-point games. He had 73 45-point games. That's pretty so, sick. So that's that's kind of gross. That's kind of gross, Jake. That too He's many, the, you know what I mean? Like that too many times where I'm like, damn, he really did something that LeBron never did or can never do, and that's one of them. LeBron's never I feel do bad that. for whoever had three 45 point games, and they used to be able to like tell their kids, "I'm second behind Michael Jordan in 45 point games as a bull." And like, you don't tell him the whole thing. Now he's yeah. bumped down to three. I, I, I don't know who. I don't even know who that could be. Maybe I would say. Derrick Rose, Der Derrick Rose, Pippen. Ben Gordon, maybe, is a shout. Uh, We're talking about 45 yeah, here, yeah, Matt. Ben Gordon, ben Gordon maybe had 30 those points. games where he had, like... Uh, ben Gordon. Remember, he just needs three. He just needs three. That's true. That's true. Yeah. All right, let's move it along to the countdown. Number five. The amount of years it's been since Tom Brady's fifth Super Bowl victory. So it's been five years since Tom Brady's fifth Super Bowl victory. A little double dip there, but uh want to lead that into which which Super Bowl victory do you guys think is the most impressive for Tom Brady? This one. This one. That's this not biased at all, right? From you? Not at all. Uh, this one. I mean, brand new team, no preseason, took out the best offense in the NFL. What people say, an offense that revolutionized the game and changed the game of football. Also put the 
is, is the passing of the torch to Pat Mahomes thing to bed, solidified himself as the greatest quarterback of all this one. Absolutely. He's 43. Brady's He's 43. Best, best quarterback, best game as a quarterback. What am I saying? Brady's best Super Bowl win was his game against the Panthers in 2003. He absolutely tore up that Panthers defense, and that's when he became... Because he was just like a pretty good quarterback, and then that game elevated him to a top quarterback, which he's now been for the past 18 years. Number four. Number of winning t- number of teams in the Eastern Conference with a winning record. Matt put this in right before the podcast, and Jake and I were both like, what? Are you serious? And then we <laughs> went and looked at the Eastern Conference standings, and like, hey, there's only four good teams in the Eastern Conference right now. This is with Miami trying to battle back with Jimmy Butler, Toronto having a down year, Indiana trying to figure it out. Like, but I'm like, only four teams? Really? Yeah, Indiana NBA. got bad luck that Karis LeVert like, can't play for him, so... Mm-hmm. And also, on top of that, Boston has played at least like three to four games less than most teams. So, and they're 12 and 11. So, uh, it's good we got the stat in when we did because it may not be around for much longer. Right. If it may was. not be that way tomorrow. <laughs> number three. The number of consecutive home league losses for Liverpool. The first time since 1963. Uh, Matt, I'm going to assume that you yeah. put this one in here. Yeah, uh, it's nice to see. I tweeted this. It's nice to see Liverpool going. To F- they won the title my first year of fandom. Now they're back in my comfortable zone of fandom of inexplicable underachieving. There you go. Right in your wheelhouse. Uh, as a Philly sports fan. Right in your wheelhouse. Good news for Liverpool fans. They are still beastly on FIFA. I got torn apart. I lost like 5-1 to a team on FIFA last night. That was Liverpool. Uh, so... As far as video games go... I wonder if I still got it in FIFA. I haven't played FIFA in a minute. minute. They have no I shot to win the Prem anymore, but the Champions League's still there. So, <laughs> play Leipzig next week, so... Awesome. Number two. The number of Super Bowl rings LaShawn McCoy has, despite not playing a single snap in either of them, last year's mm. Chiefs and this year's Bucks. That's the way to do it, man. You grind hard for your first seven years. You become the Eagles' all-time leading rusher. You grab yourself a couple of four bowls. And then at the end of your season, you kick up and let the young guys do the work. And now your end resume has a franchise-leading rusher, a couple of rushing titles, and two Super Bowl rings. I got to say, underrated, underrated achievement for uh, Rashawn McCoy in his career. He is the big. He led the Bills to the playoffs for their first time since 1999 when they lost to the Jaguars in the first round when they had Terod Taylor and Nathan Peterman. Like, that was a really ass team with a good defense, and his running game carried them to their first playoff berth, which since has blossomed them into a Super Bowl contender. Does he... Well, uh, that's... Let's answer that one second, because I think that's a tougher question. This is an easier question. Is he Finesser Hall of Fame bound? Like, he's up there with Sammy B now, getting two bowls, back-to-back years, zero snaps, in, yeah, what's, in those, what's, what's, yeah. a, what's a more impressive finesse? Sammy B finesse at 30 mil a year? Nah, Sammy B got 30 mil a year. Right. That's yeah. off the strength. You could just be on a team and, and, and get some rings. You have yeah. to actually. Sam went into, a, went into a boardroom, looked at NFL GM in the eye, <laughs> and said, I want 30 mil a year. And they said, yes. Nah, nothing would be. Nothing with Sammy's sleeves. He was absolutely... The best was when, when everyone knew he was done, he got a one-year 15 mil from the Cardinals. Out of nowhere. Like, off the strength. Like, yeah. nah, no one's built like Sam, like Sam Bradford. Absolutely no one. 
To answer your Hall of Fame question, though, um, LaShawn, I think, will have a tough time getting in. Um, I'll have to see the overall numbers. I would like to see him in the Hall of Fame because I think that he was one of the top three-ish running backs for about five to seven years. And Edron James made point. the Hall of Fame, and Edron James was not as good of a running back as LaShawn McCoy was. And, and that's my point. One, I think running backs are judged differently when you go to the Hall of Fame. Their, their average career is shorter, so you judge them on a peak of like four or five years and have to be crazy long. And five years after he's out of the NFL, when you look at the empty stats, you got a, a, a franchise-leading rusher, you know, two what? Two rushing titles, two or three rushing titles, a couple of Pro Bowls, and now two Super Bowl. Well, rings. First team All Pros. Well. First team. That's a that's a Hall of Fame resume. Like maybe maybe not first ballot, but that's a Hall of Fame resume. Number one. The amount of times Russell Wilson has been sacked less than forty times in a season. It was his rookie year. It was his first year. He was sacked thirty three times. He was pretty close. He was just on the Dan Patrick Show, uh, really bemoaning the protection that he's been getting. Uh, from Seattle, he said that he thinks he's been getting hit too much, and he might have a point. I mean, he's been getting sacked a lot. Uh, what do you guys make of that whole situation? I think he watched the Super Bowl and got serious PTSD of mm-hmm. his like day to day life. Uh, like, oh my him. gosh, this is what people see when I play. This yeah, is terrible. Real. This is what I look like on a on a game to game basis. And I mean, he's I th- playing Powerball. He wants to. They haven't made the Super Bowl. They haven't made a conference title game since 2014. He wants to be. They're wasting his prime in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and they need to yep. get back to it. I mean, no no quarterback likes to get hit, and it's you know he's among the league leaders in getting hit every single year. But I just think it's funny how Russell Wilson complains. Like Deshaun Watson complains that he wants out of Houston. Cam Newton said all this for so many years. How I get hit all the time, but he said it you know in such a not dramatic way, but an exuberant way. You know, Russ gets asked about it. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I just think, you know, I get hit a little bit too much. I'm just frustrated I'm getting hit. You know, I, I know that Seattle's going to try to do something for me. I love Seattle. Love be careful. Like, he just doesn't know how to how to go at a team. Like, he'll he'll say his his complaint and be like, but hey, I love Seattle. Love 12. Love the fans. Go Hawks. Like, it's so, he's so diplomatic about even how he complained. It's hilarious. Well, there's no easy way out. That's why. Deshaun, you know. You're a younger guy. Uh, you can kind of force your way out, even though that that's pretty bold, too. I guess that's not a great example, but they're not trading him. So if he's going to make things ugly over there, he's just going to be shitting where he sleeps, so to speak. Which is in the turf of a lot of NFL stadiums because you get sacked a lot. But that's yes. Uh, we're almost out of time for this episode of Straight Facts. Always, we can get some shots about the buzzer. Jake, Matt, got anything to say at the buzzer? He wants to go first. I'll go first. Uh, I don't have a ton to say. What I will say is I just remembered the other day it's starting to get warmer and I was like going to get, you know, oh, you know, we're almost out of winter here. We got another month. It'll be March. Another month. We got the NFL draft. But I'm not gonna, probably not going to be able to enjoy that like other years. Um, you know, we're now deep into the quarantine. We're deep into almost uh, coronavirus. Almost a year into quarantine. Isn't that crazy? So, you know, this is this is coming back around here, and it's like everyone was kind of assuming that we'd be wrapped up by now, and uh, it's still raging on. It's still raging on. We have the vaccine out, which which hopefully will kind of help quell this uh, outbreak. But I just hope that by the time it gets warm out, we can go out, we can party, we can have fun, we can see people, and it'll be somewhat normal. Now, it's, it's really a year ago that I went to D.C., and visited the capital, and now you can't do that for two reasons. So. <laughs> it's really been a year. 
No, like it's really been almost 365 days in a month. It'll be almost a month and two days. It'll be 365 days since the world shut down, which is it's, it's absolutely insane that we've we've literally been inside for a whole year. Um, I'll go next. Next, my shot about the buzzer is something I saw on Twitter today. And every once in a while, I get mad at Philly fans for something that they've done in the uh -oh. past. And I'm mad at them again because the video surfaced of the 2002 NBA All-Star game was held in Philadelphia. And Kobe Bryant took home MVP of that game. And David Stern is announcing, yeah, Jake, you cringe because you, know exactly <laughs> you know exactly what's coming. Kobe Bryant gets announced as MVP of the game in his hometown and gets booed. Hell yeah. But, Hell yeah. That's Matt, exactly. Matt, no, no, no. I cannot, he said, Matt, I cannot believe you just did that. I cannot no, no, no. believe you just so did that. in the 2001 NBA Finals, it was 1-1 going back to Philly. Jake, don't and, Kobe, and Kobe Bryant says, I can't wait to rip those fans' hearts out. That's why. And then That's he why did. They, <laughs> they, had, so they were salty that they lost the finals. And their hometown boys, like, took glee in ruining their, like, so their you happiness. So, so you don't feel any remorse. You weren't even there, and you don't feel remorse. <laughs> Watching remorse. this doesn't make you cringe. No. Hometown boy. It's, like, it's like a happy, like, oh, that's fun. And you never read Name when you reconciled with Kobe. When you reconciled with Kobe's when that's, the Eagles won the Super Bowl. That's when you reconciled with Kobe. But until that's then, what, always bad blood. That's what really makes me that, that like that's the part that cringe that makes me cringe because in retrospect, knowing how you know young he passed, like I really do wish growing up I kind of had more reverence for Kobe Bryant. But I mean, things played out how they did. As you said, they were booing him at the All Star game. It is anything it but tough. you know, it's <laughs> it emblematic of, they of didn't Philadelphia know he was in many die ways. A tragic death at a young <laughs> well, age. Was, no, of course not, man. But I'm just looking for remorse here. Like I'm looking for, damn, I wish we didn't do that. And you could like, there any of you? No, that's what makes sports good. Like irrational hatred that doesn't go too far. Booing yeah. is great. <laughs> of course you hate the Lakers. They're the fucking no, no. Lakers. I'm ending You're the, the pod. You hate the, no. I'm ending the pod on that statement. The no, most I gotta Philly do my at the buzzer. The most at Philly the, my at the oh, buzzer. Matt, Matt isn't at the buzzer. That's right. But that's the most. Mine's really, fri mine's really frivolous. It's way fucking too damn hard to get a fucking PS5. <laughs> I screwed up last console generation. I got the Xbox One, so I missed out on all the good PS4 games. Then they announced the PS5 and say, oh, you get all these good PS4 games for free if you join the PS Plus. I thought, great, now I can play both. And I I follow the PS5 back in stock Twitter notifications on, and it's impossible to buy one. It's absurd. It's stupid. And Sony's done a horrible job at beginning. They got you. The they got you. So, Matt, you want to know how you I get back in? my Christmas money. <laughs> You get back at them. I, there's a website. I'll have to search it out. You can get, I don't know if you've ever looked into getting a PC, but uh, you can get a reasonable one for like $600, which is cheaper than really you could ever uh, do. So if you are tired of waiting and, and you want to join the master race, as they call it, yeah, um, that is an option. Or you can stay with me and Jake in the trenches and go and, and stay with Xbox, bro. We, we Fuck Xbox. I hate Xbox too, but I'm not going to PlayStation. You're getting out the mud over here with Xbox, bro. I ain't never leaving the streets. I ain't never leaving the game. That's crazy. But I'm going to end the pod on this quote. Booing is great. The most Philly fan. It was the most Philly fan statement I've ever heard. But that's all the time we have for this episode of Straight Facts. It was a great one. Big ups to my guys. Stat Matt Robinson and Jake Galley, but I am James Jackson. These have been the facts. Straight up.
Why do you think the Sixers were so good at home and asked on the road last year? Because they blew their ass. <laughs> yeah, the bully, yeah. It was a bully. Uh, it could also have something to do with the fact. Well, I'm, you know, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. Who the fact that it? Ben Simmons has no clue how to manage a game on the road. Could that be it? Who who was it? It's someone recent that was like, they got asked about getting booed when they're at home in Philly. And they were like, yeah, if we play ass. It was Ben. Yeah, he's like, if we play ass, the fans are going to let us know. Like, we, we don't got to wonder if we're playing bad. That's the only thing.